Welcome everyone, you're listening to Do We Like Murder? This is a segment of the Long Overdue Podcast, a production of the Decatur Public Library in Decatur, Texas. I'm Chris, and we have with us Denise. Hi. And Dawn. Hello. Who like murder? Yes, we do. It's fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the name of the podcast. Take it away. (laughs) We discussed this ahead of time. Here we go. I'm going to intro us, and then they're going to take it away. What did y'all read this time? I read A True Story of Murder and Betrayal, Too Late to Say Goodbye by Anne Rule. Hmm. Ooh, another Anne Rule. Yes. Is that two in a row now? Yes. I do like her. I've read her before. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like her books. I mean, there's a reason that... She's as popular as she is. Mm-hmm. You know? What? I'm just looking at Denise's book that has a whole ream of sticky notes in it again. <laughs> it looks like she <laughs> ran out of yellow and then started on the orange part But I through. only had a little bit of yellow left. Yeah. So you're making it sound like... <laughs> then I had to start on the orange. She had a little bit of the yellow left. Did you do you reuse your sticky notes? Um, do you save a tree? I don't, because I typically <laughs> write on my sticky notes. Oh yeah, things that don't translate well to other books. <laughs> your shorthand. And you read? I read Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee by Casey Sepp. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. It's just C E P. Sounds right. Zip. So explain to us, who was Harper Lee? Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. If you don't know who Harper Lee is, she wrote that one book. And she helped Truman Capote do his research for In Cold Blood. Mm-hmm. So it's all coming full circle now. Sort of, yeah. Sort of. We talked. You talked about In Cold Blood. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why don't you start? Do you want me to start? Yeah. It's the last trial of Harper Lee. Is that what it's? That's what it's. That's the what subtitle it's is. Yeah. She didn't murder somebody, did she? No. Was she murdered? No. Okay. okay. No. Harper Lee. Um, so Casey Sepp told this story in three parts. Mm-hmm. She told one about uh, a serial killer named. Um, Willie Maxwell, who was a reverend, and then a trial, and then Harper Lee. What? <laughs> Never mind. Missed opportunity. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Mm. Uh-huh. So, the first part was about Reverend Willie Maxwell, and he was a rural preacher in Alabama. And he, let's see, he married Mary Lou in, on April 2nd of 1949. And he had various different jobs, but he was a, a reverend and he went to different churches and revivals and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so he got paid a little bit of money for that as well. And then one day in August of 19... 
70. So they were married this entire time. Okay. Um, and they had ups and downs financially. And I think at this point, Mary Lou had gotten a, a little job at, a fact, at the same factory that Willie worked at. And she took sewing projects on the side. So okay. that's how they were basically making their money. And on this night, um, he had to go out of town for a revival. And so he was leaving and he, she didn't want to go with him. And so he was like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to call you later on my way home. So, you know, just make sure that the phone line's clear. And she's like, okay. Like, that was just kind of a little weird for him to say that. Like, she was not one to be on the phone in the middle of the night or anything like that. So she was just like, okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Whatever. And so he goes. And then she, um, he claims that he came home. It was after... 11 o'clock at night mm-hmm. she wasn't home he was so exhausted that he went straight to bed okay woke up about two o'clock in the morning and she still wasn't home so he called his mother-in-law looking for her called a sister and the sister was like well i saw her earlier tonight but it was like six o'clock yeah you know i'd stop by the house and talk to her for a little bit and so on. So then he calls the neighbor to see if she had seen Mary Lou. And the neighbor's like, no. Like, I saw her earlier this evening, but it was way earlier. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So then he calls the police that his wife is missing. And they find her car on the side of the road. Not in a wreck or anything like that. It looks like it was parked mm-hmm. on the side of the road. Okay. The doors open. And she has, her attack was brutal. Like, it was awful. Like, she, there was blood everywhere. It looked like she had been beaten to death. It looked like someone had tried to strangle her. And there was blood all over. Like, in the car, outside the car. Like, just all over. Like, she was missing a part of her ear. Wow. And so, the police went to talk to the husband, of course. Mm Mm-hmm. And he he says, I tried calling her on my way home. I stopped at a gas station, picked up a Coke, and called her to let her know I was on my way home. Mm-hmm. And no one answered. Okay. And so then I got home. No one was here. I went to bed, woke up. She still wasn't here, and that's when I called you guys. Mm-hmm. Well, the neighbor named Dorka told the police something a little different. Hmm. She told the police that... Before Mary Lou left the house, she came by to let her know that she was leaving. Then mm-hmm. I guess just to let her know what was going on. And she said that the reverend had called her that he had an accident. He had a car accident. So she was going to go get him. Oh. And so she was like, so that's what she told me before she left. Mm-hmm. And then as for the reverend coming home at 11, she was like, mm, No. Nobody, like, nobody came back to the house or anything like that. And she's like, as far as I know, he didn't get home until 2 o'clock in the morning when he called me. Okay. So she's telling the police this. The police are already pretty suspicious of the reverend. And she also tells the police that after he called her to see if Mary Lou was there, mm-hmm. that she went around the back and took a little peek in the garage to see... 
take a look at his car because Mary Lou said that he was in an accident and that's where she was going. Yeah. And so then she came back inside and told her husband, I think something is going on because his car is not tore up. Hmm. So, again, they were married for a really long time. Yeah. From 49 to 1970. And so the police are, you know, investigating. They're, it comes back that it, she did, she was murdered. Like, this wasn't a car accident or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so they indicted him for murder. Okay. Before... No, after they indicted him for murder, but he had his trial hadn't started yet, he wrote a letter to the insurance company because he had a life insurance plan policy out on Mary Lou. Okay. Telling them that she died in a car accident. Before? <gasps> oh my god. And so maybe he had a premonition. <laughs> Before he went on trial. She'd already been dead. Oh, okay. But he got <laughs> indicted, hadn't gone to trial yet. Okay. But he told them that she died in a car accident, not that she was murdered. Oh, yeah. Or anything like that. Gotcha. And so it turns out that he had several life insurance policies out on Mary Lou. Oh. Um, and they were all fairly new policies. Like he paid a quarter to get them started, but then he never had to pay the $12 to keep renewing it mm-hmm. so he got it mary lou died and now he's getting some money from the insurance company wow so he gets his lawyer to you know represent him for the trial his lawyer is named tom radney mm-hmm. and he comes up several more times so he's defending him at this trial and basically the only evidence that the state has, that the state of Alabama has, is Dorka Anderson, the next door neighbor. Okay. Because there's really no physical evidence. Like, he didn't leave any fingerprints or anything like that, even though the car was, like, covered in blood. Uh-huh. They didn't find his clothes or anything like that. So basically the only evidence that they had was that he told the police this. This is what the neighbor knows and saw uh-huh. and he claims he didn't speak to his wife and the neighbor says that the wife told her mm-hmm. that he had called and he was in an accident yeah so it sounded like he was he lured her out to the side of the road yeah and so this is the only evidence that really that they have Okay. Guess who decides to tell a completely different story on the witness stand? <laughs> That's right, Miss Dorka Anderson. Oh. Can we guess why? Why would... She having an affair? With the reverend? Oh you betcha. Gosh. You betcha. After the fact? Oh, yeah. <laughs> after the murder? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So she changed her story. She okay. changed up her whole story. That is just uh-huh. bizarre. Right. I was just like, you know. You know what he did. You could be next. Mm-hmm. And she is. Holy crap. Oh, my God. So, oh, my God. Let's talk a little bit about Dorica here. So she was quite a bit younger than the Reverend. Okay. So, we, we've just got to stop out. 
and, and say a public service message that um, if somebody you know has been sp- suspected of murdering somebody, don't, do not date them. Don't date them. <laughs> <laughs> just, just don't do it, y'all. Like, why? <laughs> why would you do that? You might come to the same end. End of public service message. That's <laughs> <laughs> not... What? Healthy. It's healthy to not date suspected murderers. Don't date suspected It's in keeping with our theme. With our theme, It's good for your health. That's right. (laughs) For your emotional health, your mental health, your physical health. Yes. (laughs) Just don't do it. So, Dorcas was 27 and the Reverend was 46. Okay. That's a big difference. Uh Uh-huh. They got married... Pretty much right after so, the trial. Wait a minute. She was married. Mm-hmm. So in, in November of 1971, barely 15 months after Mary Lou's body was found and only four months after he was acquitted of her murder, the Reverend Maxwell married Dorcas Anderson. Dorcas had only been a widow for a few months. Oh! Her husband was diagnosed with some kind of sclerosis or ALS. Uh-huh. Um, in her, she was still in her early 20s. She had two small boys at home. And he passed away from what they think was, well, what they called natural causes. But mm-hmm. it's, it's awfully it's suspicious. very suspicious. That did, he, they, did she murder him? No. Did, did if, the Reverend murder him? Probably. Did they, like it seems pretty pretty probable that he he murdered the husband and then started to woo her before trial, so she would change up her story because that was pretty much what got him his acquittal. He got acquitted. Oh yes, he got acquitted because she went up there and changed her entire story and. Think about what he went through. Okay, so he murders his wife. Then the only witness is like the key person, and he kills her husband. So he can't. Why didn't he just kill her right away? Anyway, kills her husband so that he can get her to change her story. Uh huh. And then he marries her and kills her too. Uh huh. Why would he do that? Insurance money. Oh, he could get more money that way. Uh-huh. Oh. oh my God. Uh-huh. There you go. It's Miss, always the money. He gets Miss Dorcas to get an insurance policy on the husband. He gets an insurance policy on her. Let's talk a little bit about how many insurance policies the Reverend gets. The Reverend gets insurance policies on his wife, his brother, his nephews, her kids, probably. You're kind of just her kids. If you're just kind of related to him, he's got an insurance policy on you. How did does he, that happen? Did he plan on murdering everybody? Accidents happen, yo. He just he, and that would never be suspicious. Like all of a sudden, I have no relatives because they're all dead. But I have a I'm so truckload of money. But I've got all this insurance <laughs> all this money, money to help me feel and better. It wasn't just. An insurance policy. He had multiple insurance policies on different people. Oh, my goodness. From different companies and so on. Were these all legit? I mean, was this legal oh, yeah. for him to have all yeah, these insurance? Yeah, so in this time period, like, yeah. life insurance wasn't no. 
you know, it was just barely starting up to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he would have insurance policies all over the place. And they wouldn't necessarily know about each other until he went to collect. Okay, and- so I'm just loving this because not only does he get potential, we, I mean, because he's already been acquitted once, but the murder charges, but he's also getting fraud charges. Maybe. We'll see. Possibly. <laughs> so, okay. So he marries Dorcas and gets an insurance policy out on her. He has an insurance policy on... So he had... On Dorcas herself, he had a policy with independent life and accident, and they would owe him $1,000 on that policy. He had another 1000 on a different policy, another 1000 on a different one, and $2,000 on a different policy. So that was how many? One, two, three, four different life insurance policies on his new very young right yeah so before so he had those out on her and he basically got those out like the day after they got married (laughs) okay Uh but he also had an insurance policy on his brother and his brother had an alcohol problem and one day he was found dead on the side of the road really Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yep. Someone who refused to identify himself had called the Alexander City Police Department to say that a pedestrian had been struck by a car on Highway 22, where Highway 22 meets Highway 9. But when the authorities found a body at that crossroads, it did not seem to have been hit by an automobile. There were no visible injuries. But the body had been out in the cold all night, and it rings strongly of alcohol. Hmm. So, the county coroner, who was an electrician by training, could not (laughs) tell what the cause of death was right away. (laughs) Maybe the wiring was wrong. It wasn't electricity. (laughs) (laughs) So, he had no clue. There was no electricity involved. So, he was like, I don't know. Wow. (laughs) I I don't know what happened. (laughs) They did find that... His blood contained 0.41% ethyl alcohol in a life-threatening range. And that he had basically died of alcohol poisoning. And the reverend had an insurance policy out on him. How do you get somebody to drink? I mean, obviously, he's having a drinking problem. But how do you get them to drink to excess like that? So that they get alcohol poisoning. Well, I think once you get someone fairly inebriated, it's pretty easy to just kind of tilt their head back and just start pouring. Okay, because I'm thinking, did he? Did they kind of drug him a little bit so that something? Maybe. You know, I don't know. It's you know. Anyway, thought crossed my mind. So he died, and he got money. And I'm assuming back then $1,000 was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It was a lot of money. Uh, let's see. About eight months after the Reverend's brother died, 
three men found a car that was idling by the side of the road. Its headlights cutting two long tunnels in the fog. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think was in that car? Was it Dorka? It was Dorcas. Oh, my God. Dorcas. Yeah. That's right. So, they found the body of his first wife, who had been murdered and left in a car at pretty much an almost identical scene. And now his second wife is found murdered in a car parked on the side of the road. There were no witnesses to Dorca Maxwell's death. Um, She wasn't as severely beaten as the first Mrs. Maxwell. So it was a little harder to determine her cause of death. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't sure what had happened to her, but more than likely she was strangled. Wow. But he didn't savagely beat her like he did the first one. Mm-hmm. So how many insurance policies do you think that the Reverend Maxwell had on Dorcas? So he had four on his first wife? Mm-hmm. Well, it had to have been at least four. Five? Ten? Seventeen. Seventeen! Life insurance policies? Mm-hmm. Separate life insurance policies. Yep. What was the total amount? Or um, in some individual amounts? It didn't say. It just said that he he was now owed a small fortune in returns. Wow. He had... Let's see. The... So was the it's impossible to know exactly how many of those policies he had on Dorcas at the time of her death, but he had, or how many he had in total for like anyone, because mm-hmm. some of those were not litigated. Left so if they weren't litigated, there was really no trace of them. So if they just paid out, they paid out, but a lot of them fought. Okay, to pay out, and because. He didn't have the policies for very long. Mm-hmm. He only paid the initial, like, however much it was to start the policy, never renewed it or anything like that because they, they just kind of died right after. Yeah. You know, who knows? Um, some of them fought it because it was ruled a homicide and not an accident. And, of course, they immediately suspected him of the homicide, so they didn't want to pay him out mm-hmm. until, like, things were cleared up. That kind of thing. But it says here that the Reverend had at least 17 separate insurance policies on Dorcas. Wow. For which he had paid $10 a week in premiums. And so now he was owed a small fortune. It's crazy. 17. And not to mention the insurance policies on his brother and... Um, He even killed one of his very young nephews. Like, he, I think the nephew was like 20, 21 or something like that. And he was working, the nephew was working with him. Mm-hmm. And then he, um, he just, he died. Hmm. So what happened to Dorcas' children? Um... I don't believe that he got custody of them. I don't think he okay. He really tried to get custody of her. Um, so Dorcas's murder was not ruled a murder. Okay. So 
it seemed pretty pretty strong that she had been strangled, but they couldn't prove one way or the other, mm-hmm. really. And I think eventually they ruled her um, her death. They did not declare. They declared that her that she had died from natural causes. Despite no previous history of asthma, bronchitis, or pneumonia, and even though she had suffered no illnesses whatsoever for the entire year before her death, aside from a minor cold, he concluded that the 29-year-old had succumbed to acute respiratory disease. Okay. This is why we don't get electricians to do this, y'all. Sudden onset. Yep. Not even 30 and she died of a respiratory illness that she had no sign of or symptoms of. On the side of the road after she'd been beaten. No, she wasn't beaten. Oh, remember? she wasn't. No, the first wife was the one that was severely yeah. beaten. Yeah, but you said that she wasn't as bad. I thought that she had no, still she, been beaten a little bit. No. Okay. Mm-mm. He didn't go to trial for that because they ruled it an accident. Mm-hmm. And then... So then his lawyer went to litigate... The insurance policies, because they didn't want to pay out, and Mm -hmm. it was ruled an accident, and he won those, so he got his money. Oh, in 1974, he remarried (laughs) to, uh, he was married to Ophelia Burns, and she had actually, had also been indicted but never tried for the murder of Mrs. Maxwell, of the first Mrs. Maxwell. Really? Hmm. Yes. So the police always suspected that he had someone basically take him to the side of the road, pick him up from there, take him clothes and so on. Because when he arrived home, mm-hmm. like he was in his in his vehicle, but there was no blood anywhere. There yeah. was so that they had always suspected that he had an accomplice that uh. went to go get him. Made sure he got cleaned up, had fresh clothes, mm-hmm. and and so on. Wow. So, and they had suspected Ophelia Burns of being that person. Hmm. And so they had indicted her, but they never they never took her to trial, mm-hmm. especially since he was acquitted. Yeah. And so there was not really much that they could do about that. Um. See, they got married, and they both had children. Mm-hmm. He had a daughter. He had a daughter with some other woman that wasn't his first wife. Okay. Or his second wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So one of the funniest things in here, and I say funny, and I was just like, I would have. I probably would have heard somebody. <laughs> but one of the things that Dorcas had said when the police questioned her mm-hmm. the first time, and uh, she was telling them that, you know, him and Mary Lou weren't exactly happily married. Um, Mary Lou was one of those women that once you got married, you were married. Like mm-hmm. There was no divorce or anything like that. But she knew that the Reverend had several women on the side. Especially oh. since he went traveling to different churches to do his reverend thing. He had a lady at every one of those towns. Nice. Mm. Uh-huh. Classy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And she would 
often talked to Dorcas about how she would get telephone calls that from different ladies that were asking to talk to the Reverend Maxwell. And she would tell them that he wasn't home. And they would think she was just trying to keep them from talking to him. <laughs> and I was like, I would have hurt somebody. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what am like I'm his wife. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're just trying to keep me from. Yeah. <laughs> so what if I am? <laughs> he was trying to do that. <laughs> and that's the other thing. That's the other thing. Dorcas knows this, and then she's still like, "Yeah, we're gonna get married." Yeah. Oh, because she's gonna change him. Oh yeah. Her. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't even make it a year, Dorcas. <laughs> So, all this happens. He's first wife, second wife, brother, second wife's husband, nephew. All these people are dead. And he's collected insurance money on everybody. I don't know about the second wife's husband. She might have collected some insurance money on that. But, so he's he's made a bundle. Uh The thing is, he likes to spend money. So, yeah. He's constantly got to be making a bundle. (laughs) So here we go. Yes. So he's made a bundle. His attorney, Tom Radney, has been fighting insurance companies left and right, trying to get payouts, especially when they've been, um, you know, declared accidents or natural causes or whatever, like their deaths. So he's been getting money. So, he's married to Ophelia Burns now. Okay. I've got to say something. At what point, as the lawyer, do you say, I mean, where does your obligation start to say, like, okay, I'm getting paid because these people are dying? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, does, Um, does he ever stop to wonder... What or yeah. anything like that? Maybe? Why are all of these people dying in your family? And you, so now I'm it, having to how fight is it someone that is your nephew who you don't really talk to or see or anything like that. Why do you have an insurance policy where you're the, the beneficiary? Yeah. So it's like, why doesn't he have some responsibility? Because I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so now he's married to as, as a person, uh-huh. he should be able to say, "Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take that case. This seems a little, yeah, a little fishy." But as a lawyer and legalities, like there's, you know, everything was declared natural causes or mm-hmm. accidental or whatever, except for the first one, which he was acquitted. Yes. Of. So, so he has a daughter. With some other lady mm-hmm. that he did go and legitimize. Went to court, said, this is my daughter, and so on. And, of course, he did that to have an insurance policy on her. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> he had insurance policies on everybody. Wow. Okay. I mean, you got to spend money to make money. I guess. <laughs> Investments. <laughs> and so he was married to Ophelia Burns. And so he had a, you know, had that child that wasn't living with him. I mean, it was living with, she was living with her mom, mm-hmm. um, but would, you know, visit him and so on. Um, Ophelia Burns had children as well. And then she had basically a kind of a child that she had adopted mm-hmm. left in her care. And then she was just kind of like 
taking care of her and so on. Okay. Um, she, at this point, that, that daughter that Ophelia Burns was taking care of was about 15, 16 years old. She was a teenager. Mm-hmm. At some point, became a rebellious teenager. Okay. And so, fighting with Ophelia and so on. And Ophelia claims that on this day, she, they had gone out somewhere and had come back and she wanted to go somewhere else. The teen mm-hmm. wanted to, to go out somewhere else. And she was like, no, like we've, we just got home and I got to do this stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so the teen got really angry with her and just took off in her car. I grabbed the keys and just took off. Okay. And Ophelia was just like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> didn't call anybody, didn't call her husband or anything like that. She waited for him to come home. Uh-huh. The girl hadn't come back yet, so then they decided they were going to go look for her. And, of course, they found the car. On, on the, the side, side of the, the road. road. Oh, my gosh. Not in any kind of accident or anything like that. And this teenager. Well, the way they set that one up to look like was that she had gotten a flat didn't put the jack up correctly and the car fell on her. Wow. But the investigators could tell that that's not quite what happened. And so now he was being investigated again for murder. Mm-hmm. But it seems pretty clear that Ophelia probably knew about it too. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's being investigated. Mm-hmm. And at this point, a lot of the same officers are investigating this one that investigated all the others and they're like "Uh." this guy this guy Uh (laughs) he did it we got to figure out how to like send him away yeah like because he's been he's just been murdering people yeah (laughs) at this point he's got an mo yeah yeah it's just like dude at least change this up a little yeah Yeah. (laughs) and i guess with her he kind of did a little a little (laughs) but not a lot (laughs) and so you know it's just like so they're investigating and while they're investigating and they're so close to being able to indict him, mm-hmm. they have the, the girl's funeral. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, this was told in three parts. So the first part was his, his part about the reverend. And the second part, when I said it was about the trial, it wasn't about like his murder trial. So... What happened was that they have her funeral. The girl's name was Shirley Ann. I don't think I mentioned that at all. So they had the funeral. At the funeral, he, um, the girl, Shirley Ann, she had other siblings and so on. Like I said, Ophelia was kind of just taking care of her. Mm-hmm. Um, one of her sisters got up pointed her finger at the reverend, raised her voice so high that everyone gathered that day could hear it, and she basically screamed out to him, you killed my sister, and now you're going to pay for it. Ooh. And before anyone in the chapel could react, a man in a green suit pulled a pistol from inside his pocket and fired three rounds into the Reverend Maxwell's head. Oh! He was actually sitting in front of him, and so it was super close range. Like, he just turned around. Shot him in the head. Wow. Um, so somebody knew. Oh, everybody in town knew. 
that he was murdering people left and right. So the thing that okay. people thought uh-huh. that the people thought because Dorcas' husband mysteriously died and then they got married and then his second wife Dorcas died and his brother died and his nephew died and no one could pin anything on him. Mm-hmm. People actually thought that he was a voodoo priest. Oh. And that he was cursing people to death so he could make money. So, uh, did people still go to see him? I mean, like, did he have a church? Did no. He- <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no one ever contacted him again about doing services anywhere. <laughs> Okay. No, he lost that pretty quick. <laughs> His name was Robert. Robert Burns was the man that shot him. And he was married to Vera, who was her sister, who was a. Uh, okay, so the sister was Shirley, older. Shirley Ann. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. And so. Um, there were police officers there and all that to lead the, what's it called when you lead them from the, the service? The, the, the procession. Or yeah. yeah. So there was a couple of police officers there for that. There was some reporters there also because, again, another one of the Reverend's family members died. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they were there and um, when the shots happened, the police officers that were there uh, rushed in. He put up no fight or anything like that. Like he was there to do what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And they um, arrested him, put him in the back of the car. And later on in the trial, it comes up like they claim that he confessed that the police didn't say anything to him because they didn't read him his rights. Oh. Or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They just put him in the back of the car. Um, so that they claim that, you know, he just made a spontaneous confession and then later it comes out that the police officer had asked him, like, what did you do? Like, Bobby, what did you do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, then he said what he did. Um, it turns out that that police officer was a brother of his. Oh. And so there was all kinds of, like, this, you shouldn't have been talking to him or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of that was not introduced in, in trial. He um, he suffered from PTSD, and he he was really close to Shirley Ann, like the part of the family. She would always visit her sister, and so he considered her, you know, a part of his family. Mm-hmm. And so for this man to just kill her for insurance money, like it was it was too much. Yeah. And he had, he was also taking care of, with his wife, was taking care of a little girl that had some mental disabilities. And so, like, it seemed like he was a good guy. And he just, like, he just really just kind of snapped about the whole thing. Um, He went to trial but that's the trial that Harper Lee went to go see and take notes and try to start writing her own true crime book. And this was several years after In Cold Blood. Like it was, I think it said like 12 years or something like that. Hmm. So, but he 
was ultimately acquitted mm-hmm. of of it all. His lawyer that was representing him was Tom Radney. Oh, the reference lawyer. Interesting. Yeah. So Tom Radney claims, um, and this seemed pretty like like a pretty true claim was that he believed that everybody deserved a lawyer. Mm-hmm. That you know, no matter what, you deserved a lawyer. Yeah. And he had an office that was um, pretty close to the to the main main square, and so he had people. It was close to the courthouse and all that, and so he had all kinds of clients. And if he knew that you could afford to pay him, mm-hmm. he he would charge you normal lawyer rates. Mm-hmm. If he knew that you could not afford to pay him, he would just be like. So what do you do? You build furniture? Build me a couple of chairs. We'll call it even. We'll call it square. Yeah. You know, like, he was just, Hmm. like, he called himself a small country lawyer. Mm -hmm. And he would, you know, it's like, oh, you're you're pretty affluent. Guess what? I'm charging you double rates. (laughs) (laughs) And I think at one point they even said that he, like, had accepted uh, payment in pies. Oh, wow. Like... Bake me some pies, we'll call it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and nothing was too small, nothing was too big. Like he was like, "Oh, okay, you n- need help on this, on your will. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do it." You know, or okay, so you you were just charged for murdering someone in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's do it. Let's let's go for it. <laughs> and he got him acquitted. He got him acquitted. Hmm. That's pretty cool. He got him acquitted. I'm just like, I can't imagine why anybody would have sentenced this man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, I'm sorry. He killed who? <laughs> the guy that's kill- that we all know is killing all these people? People for insurance money? Uh-huh. That we're pretty sure he does voodoo. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know? It's like... But he was um, he wasn't he wasn't acquitted. I'm sorry, he was found guilty, but he was also found insane. Oh, so he went to a mental hospital for like a month. <laughs> he was practically acquitted. Like they knew, uh-huh. they knew that because they had claimed that he had gone through some kind of PTSD episode, and when he found out that she was that she had been murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were all pretty sure that he was going to get away with it because he got away with all the others. Right. So he just kind of went into this like deep depression due to his PTSD, and and then and then he put up no fight whatsoever. He did it very publicly, like he wasn't so plotting what about, to murder him. But so what about the wife though, because the wife stands up and says, "You're not going to get away with this," and then her husband. Stands up and turns around and shoots him three times in the head. That wasn't planned. Mm-hmm. He's got a gun in church. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, they never said that it wasn't planned. They said that he went through a PTSD episode followed by a full depression. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a spontaneous thing, but it was also very linked to his mental illness. Okay. So they never said that he he did not plan it. And yes, like the involvement of his wife to mm-hmm. stand up and do that. 
But she was never tried. No. Interesting. Mm-mm. Okay. And the woman that was taking care of her, Ophelia Burns, like, kept saying that he, you know, didn't do anything, that he didn't kill her or anything like that. And it's just like, oh, yeah, nobody believes you either. Uh-huh. <laughs> your 16-year-old daughter just runs off in your car and you're not going to call anybody or do anything about it. You're just like, oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and the, her story didn't necessarily make sense to anybody. They were just like, okay. Like, you guys had just come home from somewhere and she wanted to go somewhere else. Yeah. And, all right. It all seemed very uh, made up. Yeah. So he was sentenced to, like I said, to a mental hospital mm-hmm. where the doctor, because he wasn't insane, where yeah. the doctors, you know, treated him and evaluated him. It was like, okay, he's good now. <laughs> <laughs> Fixed it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's good now. <laughs> Looks like there was a lot of collaboration on that. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> so Tom Radney, like she spends a good to- time in this book talking about Tom Radney. Um, but yeah, like at some point it, it was kind of brought up like, so you defended the Reverend in his one murder trial. You continued to litigate for him to get the insurance payoffs, even though you knew mm-hmm. that like you had to have known like this was super suspicious. Right. Um, and so on. And then he's being investigated for Shirley Ann's murder. Mm-hmm. And, and they were like, you know, if Robert hadn't have shot him three times in the head, like, were you going to defend the Reverend? And he claims that he, like, after he found out about Shirley Ann and so on, and Maxwell called him because he was pretty sure he was being investigated. He claims that he told Maxwell that he was not going to represent him hmm. and that seems kind of convenient yes with him representing robert burns and basically becoming like super famous yeah for this that he was not going to represent maxwell even though he represented him in everything else uh-huh. yeah seemed like he was kind of trying to to shake some of that off yeah himself so Anyway, he was actually a very interesting man, mm-hmm. um, Tom Radney, and I had very mixed feelings about him. Because at the first part of this, when he's, you know, associated with a reverend, I'm like, he's also making a bundle from this, too. Right. Because he's collecting lawyer fees, and he's making all this money, uh-huh. and he's got to know where that money's coming from. Yeah. And then when Robert shot him, he was like, okay, well, let's let's do this thing. Mm-hmm. didn't charge them money or anything it's just like everybody deserves a lawyer wow and so it's just like who are you <laughs> yeah <laughs> like are you a good person are you not a good person like do you, do you somehow just tell yourself because it was declared accidental that it wasn't a murder and you're fine mm-hmm. you know like i don't know i was just like hmm <laughs> Like, I'm not sure how I feel about you. Right. Like, there's just parts of this whole thing. He tried to have a political career, but it didn't quite work out for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually pretty awful. Uh, he seemed like a like a good dude with good ideas, but it was Alabama. <laughs> so, they, they were not looking for good dudes with good ideas. 
<laughs> and so so Harper Lee's involvement in this is is that is that she heard about the reverend and she was like what uh-huh. <laughs> a voodoo reverend priest guy that like was committing murder that then got murdered it's like this sounds like the story I want to write yeah and so she talks about Harper Lee and I'm going to say that I am not a fan of Harper Lee uh-huh. I do not like Harper Lee and so she starts off by talking a little bit about Harper Lee's growing up and so on and how she knew Truman Capote. And I think a lot of that's already kind of common common knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and also how, you know, she moved to New York to start her writing career. And so one of the things I really dislike about Harper Lee is she had this idea of what a writer was supposed to be. And then I'm just like, you're so narrow-minded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she went to New York, got herself a little editing job at a magazine, like a school magazine for mm-hmm. like school districts. Wow. So she okay. was editing articles on textbooks and like teacher of the year, that kind of thing. Fun. But, oh my gosh, it was too much like writing. So <laughs> I then couldn't write at home. So I had to quit. And I'm like, right. Uh, so then weird. she decides that she's going to go sell airline tickets. Uh-huh. But, oh, my God, having, like, an everyday job? Ugh, I can't write if I have a job. <laughs> and I'm like, really? So then her friends were like, oh, poor Harper Lee. She can't write because she doesn't because she's got a job. <laughs> so why don't we get all of our savings give it to her so she can take a year off and write that book we know she has inside of her no way so they give her a check for a bunch of money so she could take a year off from her job so she could write her book wow so magically she does she's got some good friends Uh uh-huh so she writes her book gets herself an agent which also comes from the contacts of these same friends Mm -hmm. so Gets herself an agent, gets herself an editor. So the manuscript that she turns in is actually what we know as Ghost at a Watchman. Okay. Mm. And Harper Lee's great idea was that she wanted to write a book basically showing how hypocritical white Southerners are. And hypocritical is my word because uh-huh. she like her whole thing was that there was a lot of white Southerners mm-hmm. who hated the Klan, mm-hmm. didn't like what they did, didn't like how they did things, but that doesn't mean that they were for equal rights. They still thought oh, that okay. you know they shouldn't have to share a bus with a black person yeah. or drink from the same water fountain or whatever. Mm-hmm. They just didn't like the way the Klan did things. <laughs> okay. And so that was her book. That's what she wrote. And her editor was like, you're a good writer. Why don't we focus on this part of your book? Like when Scout was young Mm -hmm. and so on. And you know what? Let's let's keep it at this time frame so we don't actually have to talk about the civil rights. Mm. Let's do that. Wow. And she was like, okay. Mm -hmm. So... Without that huge, heavy editing mm-hmm. that she received, we would not have to kill a mockingbird. We would have something more like goes out of Watchmen. Hmm. 
So the book took off, made a bunch of money. It actually made from what Casey Sepp estimated Mm -hmm. to be about $700,000 in our money before it was even published. Wow. So Harper Lee is a world-class complainer. So now she's super rich, right? Uh-huh. And she complains to everybody and their dog about having to pay income tax. Oh. Everybody. Some old professor of hers writes her a letter saying how much he enjoyed to kill a mockingbird. And she writes back about how she's got to pay income taxes. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> This is some person you didn't really even know. Uh And you're like, let me write you this long letter about income taxes. (laughs) I'm like, okay. But even though she had to pay income taxes, Mm -hmm. she still had a boatload of money. Yeah. And so what was it that that she needed to write was to not have... To not have an everyday job mm-hmm. and to have a boatload of money and to just be able to write whenever. Yeah. So did Harper Lee ever write another book? No. Well, she got her money. She didn't have to do anything. No, now she's just. And one of the things that irritated me the most is that she would talk about how she would say things like, oh, you know, it takes me like eight hours to write a page of prose that I find acceptable. And I'm like, you're awful. <laughs> you're awful. <laughs> Please go have another drink. Because <laughs> she did eventually become quite the alcoholic. Really? Like she drank a lot. Because she couldn't write. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> what is it now, Harper Lee? Income tax? Really? Really? That's going to stop you from writing? Okay. Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. So, like, 12 years later, she hears about all of this. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm going to write this book. So she goes to this little town in Alabama. And she does a bunch of research. She spends quite a bit of money, like, getting records and copies. She interviews everybody. She interviews Tom Radney. She interviews the family. She interviews Ophelia. She interviews everybody. Mm-hmm. And she's got a ton of research. And she's telling everybody that she's going to write this book, mm-hmm. which is a little uncommon because she hasn't really talked about writing to anybody, much less publicly. Mm-hmm. And so she's working on this book, or so she says. <laughs> and she. The, you know, Tom Radney thinks that, you know, she's writing this book about him. And at some point they're talking to each other. Um, and she calls um, Gregory Peck. Oh. Because they're friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so she calls Gregory Peck to, you know, tell him about this book that she's writing. And, you know, maybe he'd like to play Tom Radney in the movie. And so Tom Radney's like, you know, this is going to happen. Like, this is going to happen. Uh-huh. And so it does not ever happen. <laughs> Before she leaves town, Tom Radney gives her, like, a suitcase full of, like, all the files that he had on the Reverend and just, like, all the things that he had collected over the years about the thing, about the story, mm-hmm. and gives it to her. And so she's like, okay, great. You know, like, 
someday she was going to return it after she did all her research and all her and got her book out there. Mm-hmm. And so she takes off with that. Um, she talks to one of the reporters that was there reporting on like when it happened. And so she talks to him and they actually become a little friendly too. And so he gives her a scrapbook that his mom had put together of like all his stories and bylines and things like that. And so there were several articles that he wrote about the Reverend, um, you know, throughout the years, like, Oh, another one of the Reverend's family members died. Let's write a story about it. And then Mm -hmm. all that. So he gives her this scrapbook also with the, like the expectation of it being returned to him someday. Yeah. Um, it wasn't returned to him until Casey Sepp gave it back to him. Wow. Several years after Harper Lee died and yeah. decades after she was claiming to write a book. Yeah. They never found anything that she had that looked like she had even tried to write this book. Huh. Um, when Tom Radney died, and his daughters were cleaning out his stuff, they found a chapter mm-hmm. that seems like Harper Lee sent to him, but it was a fictionalized chapter of this. <laughs> and her whole thing was that she wanted to write this factual book. She didn't want anybody to come at her like they did with Truman, saying that some of the things that he embellished or he lied about things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like she wanted it all to be 100% fact. And so then she declared this book impossible to write. Yeah. Because, you know, it was like you couldn't say one way or the other if he really did practice voodoo or you couldn't say for sure that he murdered his brother or, you know, yeah. a Dorcas who was all claimed to be a natural thing. And I'm like, really? Because I'm reading a book about it right now uh-huh. that someone wrote. That never claimed those things to be factual. Yeah. Just, it was very suspicious. And a lot of people thought that he killed these people. I'm like, I think he killed those people. (laughs) (laughs) But she never said, you know, oh yeah, he for sure killed these people and just got away with it. Mm -hmm. It's like, there are ways to write that. Yeah. I'm holding a book right now that that was written like that. But whatever, Harper. Whatever, Harper Lee. (laughs) It's impossible to write, I tell you. Impossible. I'm just like, she's a crazy person. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Very so that's what I was talking about when we were talking about writing in the last episode. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this reminds me of this thing. Oh, I yeah. can't talk about. Yeah. Because I'm just like, really? Yeah, for real. Can you imagine, Chris? You can't actually write because you have a, you have a straight job. I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> make a big a big a public a announcement to do i can't media, i can't like, write I can't, because i have a job i can't fulfill my dream of writing because i have to have a real job anybody want to like write job? me a check that's going to cover my rent for a year and food and stuff like i will happily accept your check for that thanks she nope. did pay. She did pay them back. I'm not signing up for that. Sorry. I, I will say she did pay them back. Okay. Well, that's but, something. I mean, that's fair because yeah. she made a boatload of money uh-huh. and then and, complained and about I'm, it. And I'm sure she actually got a tax break for like a gift. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's but crazy. she complained about everything. Like she was such a complainer. Like I think one of my notes is just like, "Wow, like world class complainer." <laughs> like I'm just like, really? Wow. Really? Sounds like she was quite a Harper. Uh, yes. <laughs> Very good. 
probably that. Yeah. I was just like, wow. And and they did talk a little bit about like what she how she helped Truman in in cold blood. Like how she, mm-hmm. like she did she basically did all the research for that and then Truman just wrote the book. Like she went with him, interviewed people. They were in some small little town and nobody wanted to talk to Truman Capote. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like but they would talk to Harper Lee, you know, a southern lady that was easy to talk to and so mm-hmm. She basically, like, he was there for the interviews, but they were basically talking to her. Yeah. And the connections that he made, he made because of her. And so she, and when they were done, when they were done there, like, she typed up all her notes, separated them into different sections, like, this is what the courthouse looked like, this is what the house of such and such people looked like, and these are the interviews we did there. Like, she had it all separated out for him. Mm -hmm. She did all the research. And then he just wrote the book. Like, he pretty much just wrote the book. And that's kind of what she did here. Like, mm-hmm. she did a, a lot of research, but there was nobody there to write the book for her. Okay. So, hmm. so it never happened. Yeah. And there was always an excuse of why it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. One of the things I thought was pretty funny was they were talking about some authors that people always compare Harper Lee to. Mm-hmm. And one of them was um, Eudora Welty. And... She actually, Harper Lee actually really liked Adora Welty's mm-hmm. uh, work, and she had called her a one-hit wonder, and it hurt her feelings. <laughs> and I was like, "Um, you are. You are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you write another book that we didn't know about? If no. you don't want to be a one-hit wonder, then try writing another book. Try writing another book. Right. Then you know everybody's going to buy. And so... And the whole thing with To Go Set a Watchman, when that was uh, published, mm-hmm. it really seemed like someone was just taking advantage of a little old lady that wasn't all there anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Because if she had wanted that published, A, it would have been published a long time ago. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't have been keeping it in a safety deposit box where no one else was able to get it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay very fascinating everything about like the murder and the trial was super fascinating harper lee was just annoying <laughs> like i was so irritated that's that is a pretty out there story about that reverend that murdered all yeah people. that's really wild he was had an insurance policy on everybody yeah it's gonna take out people one by one wow, related a, to him that's quite a story well you know it's really interesting because um our books somehow seem to correlate. Yeah. And they do again. Yeah. Did your guy kill his wife for insurance money? Hmm. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Okay. So, too late to say goodbye. Um, this is about uh, Jen Corbin, and um, she, was, she was murdered in December of 2004. And... It was first impression considered a suicide. Um, her sons found her, um, seven year old, and I want to say five. He was a couple years younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so the seven year old found her and tried to call nine one one and couldn't, and so ran across the street or you know to the neighbors and. Um, the lady came back and was like, okay, he's seven. 
mm-hmm. let's see what's really going on, you know. And um, the husband went ahead, I think, and called 911, but she walked back over there to the house. And sure enough, the mom was dead on her, her in her bed. And um, so they obviously take the kids back across the street. Police come and, you know, she was, there was no sign of a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no um, break-ins that, you know, there was, there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Kids slept through the whole thing. They didn't know until the next morning that something had happened. And so um, then it starts to come out that, well, the husband the next day was called. Okay, let me start over. He wasn't called initially. He didn't come home. Um, so people are trying to find him. They finally mm-hmm. call his brother, and he's with his brother. And they tell him what happened. And, of course, he's distraught. He goes in the bathroom and throws up and blah, blah, blah. Well, he never comes home. Um, After he was called? Yes. He never comes home? Right. So whatever with the kids. Right. Oh, okay. He doesn't inquire about the kids. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't ask. Yeah, <laughs> nothing. And um, the police want to talk to him, of course. And so finally later in the day, I mean, it was like 10 hours later, they finally get him to go to the police station to talk to them. And he won't say anything. And he's already got a lawyer. Um. And then it starts to come out, you know, family starts talking and some close friends and all that. Mm -hmm. And um, they weren't doing so well. So this happened on December 4th. So they just had Thanksgiving. And um, (laughs) he finds out that day that, you know, obviously things had not been going well up to that point. He finds out that day that she was having some kind of, not really an affair, but she was having some correspondence online with somebody. And she had tried to, um, she wanted to keep those correspondence that she had printed out away from him so that he wouldn't find him. And so she put him in his purse or in her purse. Well, on Thanksgiving Day, they have to stop really quick to get something for for the mother. Um, and while she's inside the store, he dumps the purse and finds these emails or the, you know, this printed out documentation about this person she was corresponding with. Why on earth would you print out your super secret emails and then put them in your purse? Mm -hmm. She was trying to find places where she could hide it and she didn't feel comfortable anywhere. And so she's like, why would you print them out? Period. Okay. So I'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's all very interesting. Okay. So they get there and of course he's, mad yeah and yeah rightfully so right if you just found that out um and just sulking the whole day not interacting with anybody and just being a total jerk basically his family or her family her family oh yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and um so then they finally leave and um i don't know exactly where they were in this process but he hits her and he's never hit her in the past. And so when they get home, she calls family back and says, okay, this is what just happened. And so she gets clothes for the kids and leaves and go back, goes back to her sister Heather's house and stays there for two days. 
obviously she's just been hit and so there's marks mm-hmm. on her and stuff but um she's like i need to go back she was planning on um filing for divorce because he had been very verbally abusive almost their entire marriage they'd been married for like nine years and then through this correspondence she'd been having with this person she was building more confidence in herself that she could be loved mm-hmm. and she's like i don't need to put up with this yeah so this email correspondence what had happened which i marked the spot for you chris because i thought it was very interesting (laughs) okay um so her her involvement with this person kind of happened by accident complete accident and um they liked her mom and and jen liked to play games and so her mom had gone out and purchased uh in 2003 a sony playstation game called everquest have you ever heard of it Mm -hmm. okay i know everquest okay (laughs) never never played it but I, i know about it okay so it you know has the internet hookup and you can i think it was like one of the first big online mm-hmm. rpgs okay the, like kind of like world of warcraft is now but it was like the ver- like one of the very first ones that was like that yes and it says here that um she said it was something like dungeons and dragons and yeah, it sounded like yeah. fun so it sounds like they p- may have even played that yeah um so anyway it is kind of like fa- a little bit of the fantasy with it mm-hmm. and uh so within this game, she starts corresponding with this person who is Sir Tank One Two Two Three, and her name was Wizwiz One Forty Eight. Okay, so you don't know who it is, and you don't even know if that's no, you don't know mm-hmm. anything. <laughs> you don't even know if that's an adult. <laughs> no, that's true. You don't. Or a man or a woman, you know. Yeah. Be. <laughs> I'm more concerned about age and consent than gender. Well, yes, that's, Im- <laughs> yes. that's important as well, but, you know, it could be what, it could be any of those. <laughs> it could be anybody. <laughs> so they, they start, you know, com- uh, conversing during the game and all that and finds out that um, she's talking with a man named Christopher and who was also 33, so they're the same age. Um. Anyway, this goes on for like over a year and they start having more detailed conversations and um, she's really starting to have feelings for this person Mm -hmm. and she tells her sister about it and I think mentions it even to her mom and her her sister's really concerned. She's like, you don't know who this person Mm -hmm. is. And she's like, I'm fine. It's fine. Yes. She's like, it could be somebody from, like, Nigeria. You know, they even mentioned that in here about those fake things that come through and all this stuff. What is it? The, the Nigerian prince or whatever yeah. that you're going to If he eat. starts asking for money, <laughs> yeah. get out. But, so, but it's true. Like, you don't know. You don't know if he's... Don't. Yeah. So, anyway, she's, she starts wanting to know, like, what do you look like? And not that that matters, but I want to, you know... Would not send her a picture. She finally <laughs> sent one. She finally sent one to him, and um, red still flag, red flag, right? <laughs> still nothing. Um, but she still had somebody to to talk to, to talk to, and you know, and all that. And and they got a little steamy, and I guess in there some of their mm-hmm. conversations, and um, well. Right before Christmas of 2004, 
like right before Thanksgiving when he found those emails. She found out that Christopher was Anita. Mm-hmm. Catfished. Yeah. And um, so she was very mad and hurt and, mm-hmm. you know, very upset about the whole thing. And um, so she was trying to sort out her feelings and she went, she went and deleted it. She felt so stupid because her sister was right. And she didn't want to admit to anybody that this had happened, that this person that she thought was a man was now a woman. And she's just, you know, going through all these emotions. So she deleted everything, but she printed out a couple things because she wanted to reread them. And she was afraid her husband would find it on the computer. And she wanted to go back and see, was there any indication that he's or she's, that, yes, that, is, that he wasn't a real person. Yeah. And um, so that's why she printed him out. She was still in that shock stage and trying to sort through but all the this. The indication that this wasn't a real person was when he refused to send you a photograph. Yes. <laughs> right. I was thinking that too. I mean, it's like, uh, hello. Uh-huh. Um, another public service announcement. No. Yes. <laughs> Catfishing, y'all. It's out there. It's yes. a real thing. Just... And I just want to say that this whole, like, meeting people online, not knowing what they look like, not knowing who they are, and then being like, but I'm in love. I'm so, yeah. yeah. I'm just like, you probably need to go talk to someone. Yeah. Yeah. But You're in love with if, an image of what you think they might be. Yeah, with your own idea of that, because you don't uh-huh. even have a picture. <laughs> like. Yes. So, um. So that's why she had the printed out emails. Um, she was already planning on filing for divorce if she hadn't already by this point, because she was planning on leaving. She had um, taken some things to her mom's warehouse. Um, so her husband was Bart, um, and he was so controlling that he would not give her any... She had to account for every single dime mm-hmm. that she spent. Um, they would sit down, I don't know, once a week at least to go through every all the money that she had spent and he only gave her like just a little bit of money and so she ended up having to go and get a credit card in her name that he wasn't aware of so that she could start purchasing things and putting them um, somewhere else and she wasn't frivolous she was just taking things that were um, that she felt she needed to start a household with her Mm -hmm. boys um so then this happens, and he finds out that she's planning for divorce, too. He decides he's going to go and file for divorce. And when the police were there after she had been, um, well, they were still thinking it was a suicide at this point, um, this car drives up, and he's like, well, I'm here to serve her with papers. So he had tried to get in there first to file mm. um, because he felt like there would be he wanted to be in control. Mm-hmm. Um, so during this process, the people were conversing here and there, and I, I don't know, I don't remember who it was, but somebody makes a, a phone call, and I believe it was to the dad, and said, um, I don't know if you know that Bart was married before. Or not married before, but had a girlfriend before in this other town. Mm. And um, she also died of a gunshot wound to the head. Considered suicide. Hmm. Yes. So, Bart is a dentist. 
and he had gone to school in Georgia. So right in that same area as yours. And then we've got the wife and um, multiple murders now. Yeah. Uh, He starts dating this one girl when they first start uh, college. And she gets to the point where she's like, he wants to settle. He seems very narrow-minded and very um, controlling as Mm -hmm. far as money. And she's like, I want to travel. I want to be a journalist. I want to be able to feel free to go and do. And she's like, I don't see him changing. So she wanted to break it off. Mm -hmm. And she did. Um, And then it was like another year later. So he started dating this other girl. Her name was Dolly Hearn. And they ended up having a a relationship for a couple of years, but then he started going crazy again mm-hmm. and starting freaking out. And she's trying to back off and, um, he ends up stalking her. He takes her cat, um, who she loves. Mm-hmm. Yes. She, I know. Right. <laughs> she, um, had rescued this cat and just really mm-hmm. was bonded with this cat. And he broke into the house and left the door open because she was concerned they were on a busy road. She, The cat was an indoor cat. She didn't think it could survive on its own mm-hmm. and all that. Um, and they came home, her and her roommate did one day, and the, the sliding glass door was cracked open, just enough for the cat to get out. Well, come to find out, he had gone in and stolen the cat and taken it to another part of town and left it there. Yeah. And so, I mean, she was beside herself and, and pretty much thought that she was not going to get it back until mm-hmm. he finally confessed that he'd taken the cat. And he took her to where the cat was, and um, it had lost weight and was scraggly looking and all that, but came alive. to her. Yes, alive. <laughs> came to her right away. Wow. Um, he had she, broken in. Go ahead. She went willingly with him yeah. somewhere. I mean, I'd, I would have been like, oh, yeah, you're taking me to see my cat, but also these other three people are yeah, coming with us. Right? <laughs> well, and he'd also done some other things. that He had broken into the apartment and um, put hairspray in her contact lens solution. <gasps> and it came out later that he said, well, I didn't know if it was yours uh, or not, and her roommate was there, so he had to do it to both. <gasps> So both of them had that stuff in and their eyes were like all a mess and oh he had broken in and stolen some things and finally she had gotten so scared her dad had got her a gun and she'd taken the gun and she'd put it um, under her bed. I mean they took her to to have lessons and stuff mm-hmm. but she put it in a box under her bed and uh Sorry, that's my train of thought. Okay, so then she goes to the the manager of the apartments and and says that thing, she's afraid because she realizes she's very meticulous. And she has all her keys facing the same direction. And she realizes, finally, that one of the keys is backwards on her keychain. That would bother me, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and because she's like, how is he getting in? Because they had the sliding glass door and then they put the, 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 the rod, rod in. Uh so that it couldn't open, but things were still disappearing. And um, so she finally realized when they were dating, he had taken her keys and made a copy and was coming in the front door. Mm -hmm. And he didn't put the key back on the right way? Nope. 
So that's how she realized <laughs> she went that afternoon and got Be the a better scene. stalker, yo. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. So um, she finally broke up with him. And he, of course, was mad. She didn't break up with him after she found out that he took her cat. Yeah, for real. So, I mean, I guess she may have been broken up with him before. Then all this stuff kind of happens. And then then everything kind of stops. And she, they start to, he stops doing weird things. And she almost gets to the point where she forgets she has the gun. And he... Um, they, I don't want to say they start seeing each other, but they start doing things as friends. But he thinks it's more than friends. Yeah. Hmm. I know. I know. I'm shaking my I, head through the I wouldn't be friends too. either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a firm believer in that you can be friends with your exes. Mm-hmm. But those guys stole your cat. Not ones that steal your cat. I've right. been breaking into your house and, like, not just taking things, but, like, trying to make you go blind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, and get this. None of that is, is friend behavior. <laughs> so they're in dental school. He steals files for her patients and throws them in just a random trash can that she finds later. I mean, that's personal information. Oh, uh, yeah. He also um, ends up, it's getting close to finals. And one of the grades that they have is that she has to have a completed set of dentures for a patient. He takes them and destroys them. She can't find them. So her grade is in jeopardy, not mm-hmm. to mention the fact that the person that she made these for... And Doesn't have dentures. Yeah, I mean, all these things. It's like, what a jerk. Uh-huh. And then um, the first person that he was dating, I, I believe, well, her name in the book is Shelly with an asterisk that says names have been changed. Right. So we don't know who she really is. Um <laughs> she was in it to help people mm-hmm. you know she wanted to help her dad and um and maybe that was dolly anyway uh, he was in it for the money and one of the comments he had made was he just wants it to wanted to stick it to his patients wow yeah nice guy right mm-hmm. uh during his dental when he was working in his dental office um he would yell at his staff and so patients stopped going to him. Yeah. This one teenager was like, I'm scared. She's like, I don't want to go back there. Yeah. And it wasn't because he touched me or he hurt me or anything. She was just scared. And it's like, listen to the intuition. Yeah. That's a good thing. And so, yeah, her okay. mother never did take her back. <laughs> Find a different dentist. Yeah. Um, okay. So during the time that. Bart is married to Jen. He is also having an affair with a person who is working at his office. Mm-hmm. And he and he's all big mad because she's talking to someone online, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, this person is also married and knows that if her husband finds out, he'll leave her. Imagine that. Mm. And they have a child. So they end up doing things together um, as, you know, birthday parties and different things. But Jen realizes that something's going on between them. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, there's another lady who he, Bart at one time 
was having an affair with, he worked at another um, dental office part-time for more money and to help build his money to build, uh, buy his own Do his own practice. Office. Yes. And um, so he was, uh, when he would go over there, he would have uh, his fling with her. Well, she ended up missing. And this was right before or right after he got married to Jen. She disappeared. And it was like 18 months later. Yeah, 18 months later that she was found. A scuba diver discovered the hulk of a car at the bottom of Lake Tuscaloosa in Alabama. The car's registration came back listed to Harriet Gray. Her body was floating inside the car, her hands duct taped to the steering wheel. So both of our things happened in Alabama. Well, mine mainly was Georgia, like Augusta, oh, okay. Georgia and Lawrenceville, but then she was found in Alabama. So I don't know if she was, if that's where the practice was that he would go to okay. to make the extra money or if it was close enough that that's where he ended up taking he just her body. dumped the body. Yeah. But she disappeared from the practice. Nobody knew where she she where went and for 18 months and somebody wow. finally found her. And obviously it was not suicide. Yeah. But as of the writing of this book, they had still not figured out who had killed her. Because you can't ta- duct tape both of your hands. Mm-hmm. You can do one. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> Basically, Bart is convicted. And he's given two life sentences for, as a plea bargain. For what? Which murder? Both. Yeah? Yes. Um, so I didn't l- finish like the last 30 pages of my book. So I don't know exactly how all this plays out. But I do know that, let's see. He was officially charged. This was January 5th, 2005. So it was only a month after Jen died. Mm -hmm. Um, With one count of malice murder, one count of felony murder, and one count of possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. And the felony was Jen's murder. But then they opened the case again for Dolly Mm -hmm. and were able to retry it. And they had found some, there was enough circumstantial evidence um, that they were able to convict him for that one too. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I did a quick Google search Mm -hmm. and found out that that's where I found out that he had been given the two life sentences uh, served consecutively. And then there was an article on monstersandcritics.com from January of this year that said he could be eligible for parole next year. With two life sentences? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that would make it, what, 15 years? Was it 2005 that he was convicted? Yeah. So it's 15 years. That's not very long oh, no. for two life sentences. So let's just um, put out there, Bart is a dentist. <laughs> he could possibly pretend to be a dentist, even though I'm sure they're not going to let him have a license. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure they pulled his license. Yes. Um, don't go out with this dude. 
gosh. If well, he ever gets out. He, how old would he be now? I want to say he was like 41 when he was convicted or when this kind of went on. When this happens. He was like in his 40s. So he'd yeah. be in his mid 50s. He could still do some damage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, within murdering age. Yes. <laughs> murdering age. And I, I, I hate to say this. It almost makes me want to throw up to say this. But he's in these pictures somewhat attractive. You could see why women fell for it. Yeah. It's like the whole Ted Bundy thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he would like put on this act until they got serious and then his true self yeah. would come out. Well, and that's mm-hmm. what abusers do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like they make you feel like you're the most special person in the world and they love you. And then once they feel they got you. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so this was, this is Dolly, so that's the girl that he murdered first. The way he had um, killed her was, I I get this image of this, the gun to the back behind Mm -hmm. the ear, um, and it initially severed her brainstem, so she died immediately, Mm -hmm. and she was sitting on the couch, they said, I've imagine cross-legged and then she fell over well when they were really starting to look at the blood splatter and Mm -hmm. and where it was there's no way that the blood could have gotten on her knee and there was no blood on her hand because of the back splash of Mm -hmm. the blood onto the gun and stuff um and so it she had to have been moved and so that's what they went back, and that was one of the, the things that they looked at. For, um, for Jen, the gun was not touching her skin when it oh. was fired. And they could tell that because of the, you know, how Yeah, the, there was no burn marks. Burn, yeah. Yes. So in order for her to have held the gun, it, there was no way she could have held it at that angle and, and mm-hmm. all of that because it would have been away from her about three or four inches. Yeah. Was it a long, long arm or a pistol? I don't know. Because that's what I'm. I'm thinking like if it was a long, like that would, that would make it hard to do that, right? Well, but it would make it hard to do regardless. Even if you had a pistol, like to commit suicide and it not be touching you, mm-hmm. like you'd have to be holding it and. And, Seems and weird. A, and a, Either way. Yeah. And when they fire, it would jolt. Yes. And so it may not even hit you where you were intending on it hitting right. you. So um, so here's Tabitha. Here's the cat. Who was the only eyewitness. Oh, pretty cat. To the murder. Oh. This is this is Jen. Is, is that it? This is the this is the gun that Dolly's parents had. So that was hers. Now I know that Jen had um, called and said something about a shotgun missing from their mm-hmm. house, but I think there were other guns involved also. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see if they have it. It's just really spooky. He, lo- I don't want to say he looks normal because he doesn't. I just feel like there's some kind of creepiness, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, her sister Heather and her husband Doug um, took the kids. And then this is um, Dolly's mom. Um, and they finally had justice after 16 years. Hmm. Uh, they, they knew he had done it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because 
you know, obviously all the stalking and stuff mm-hmm. and all the stuff that went on. And uh, did the police ever talk to him or did they just like, oh, well, whatever, like suicide or did they think it was a suicide? Like Dolly's murder? Yeah. Oh, Jen's? No, Dolly's. Dolly's murder, they thought, yes, it, it was, was considered a suicide, mm-hmm. but then the coroner said undetermined because she still oh, had some okay. questions even. Yeah. And, um, you know, with all of the um, people who came back and said, look at the boyfriend, look mm-hmm. at the boyfriend. So they did, but they didn't have enough information they didn't feel like to convict him. Right. Okay. And so they... Um, and then once he was convicted for another murder, well, it, it makes it a lot like a lot easier to be able to say well all the circumstantial evidence really now points to this well he was actually arrested first for the dolly oh okay murder um and then like a week or so later he was um arrested for jen's uh because when they reopened it they started listing all of the reasons he had changed his story. They did take a statement from him, and then the next day he came in and they took another statement, and it changed. Hmm. Um, because he realized somebody saw him at the apartment, and he's like, I have to put myself back at the apartment. He had everything laid out to a T. Uh, this Every minute was um, accounted for, which is odd to be that uh-huh. meticulous unless you're planning that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'd also, um, one of the things that they had done for Jen's murder, they couldn't put him for certain at the house at that time of night because he had left the house mm-hmm. um, and he'd also been sleeping in another bedroom too because they were um, estranged at that point. But he had dinner with the, his family and then he left and um, the neighbor got home. He'd been out. Um, and then he was out in his garage messing around for a little bit and he heard the truck. I don't know if you guys do this, but where I live, I know people's vehicles when they come down the street. Not all of them, but there's some of them that it's like, oh, that's so-and-so. And And you don't even have to look. And and especially if they live right next door to you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so they, that's what he said. He's like, I heard the vehicle. He's like, I, I knew that that was mm-hmm. what was coming, and it was about this time. Well, then they, they got the records from the hard drive that um, Jen was online with this Anita person um, at one forty eight, and they were putting the murder between 2 and 3 in the morning. Uh, so what they did is used cell phone records and towers mm-hmm. to find out where he was located. Mm-hmm. So part of his story lined up to begin with. He was at this restaurant with his friends. He stopped at this store, but he was on, he made eight hundred and fifty one calls. What? Right but between these few days, and it's like, are you kidding? You're just telling broadcasting where you are with that cell phone. Um, but yeah, they were able to triangulate that during that time. That's exactly yeah. where he was with hmm. the cell phone towers. And that's one of the things that helped convict him. Hmm. So, very fascinating. That's a lot of phone calls. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, for anybody. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. There was a little bit of insurance, I think, involved. He was trying to get uh, insurance paid so he could pay his lawyers. 
<laughs> you know what? If you're going to kill somebody and then you want the insurance money just to pay your lawyers, doesn't that defeat the purpose? Yeah. <laughs> you're just going to give it all to the lawyers. Yes. This murder will pay for itself. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Oh, uh, so yeah, there was a lot of similarities. Hmm. Um, yeah, I was thinking about when you said about how she was, she had that uh, that with the the person on in the online game that mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. I think I I know. Yeah, I won't name any names. We won't I, name any. I, names. I know more than one. <laughs> person that has fallen for that. that not fallen for it, but <laughs> or actually with the person that. Oh. They met online through a game or so program like that. It it's legitimate. Well, I mean, works. It worked for some people, but I'm yeah. sure they didn't like be like, "No, I'm not sending you a picture." Right. <laughs> they probably were a little more upfront than that. Yes. Well, and that's what I mean. Like online dating obviously works for some people, and that's fine. But when you're talking to someone, regardless of like if you're talking to someone on the phone or you're talking to someone online, and you're like trying to find out more about them like what they look like or just other personal details that they're not willing to give you mm-hmm. yeah that's a huge red flag and yeah. you probably not meet them in real life yes mm-hmm. well and you even have to be cautious especially nowadays with photos mm-hmm. because it can be, Could be anybody's photo oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um and even with photoshopping and that kind of stuff it can be doctored and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so It's too bad. It's a sad story. Yeah. For her. I mean, for all the people that were murdered in these books, but that was sad that she yeah. had that that experience and was getting confident and then turned out to be not at all what she expected and then she got murdered. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, some other things that happened, um, the uh, Lacey Peterson trial mm-hmm. was going on at the same time or, you know, part of what they discussed in here. And, and, um, Bart was watching it with Heather, Jen's sister at one time. And Bart just made, come out, came out and made this comment that the only reason he got caught is because he didn't keep his mouth shut. And it's like, hello? (laughs) (laughs) Really? Well, that's not the only reason he, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, but it's like those things that yeah. you, you turn and go, where did that come from? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And why, why did that just come out of your mouth? Hmm. I don't know. I, you know, she probably didn't think anything of it until after the fact. Probably. Because I mean, just, okay. Just think about all the things we have said on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then, like later on, she it, said, "Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. true." Now, one of the things that bothers me a lot, and just whenever I'm watching like a murder show or something like that, mm-hmm. and they're talking about how, you know, this person said I could kill that person, or I could, you know, it's like, um, I'm sorry, don't we all say that about like just random things that? But now suddenly it means something. No, yes. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's true because, I mean, especially as kids, you know, uh-huh. it's a common, well, and 
I don't know. I know things have changed. When I was a kid, I'm going to kill him. Well, it doesn't mean you're going to kill him. It means that you're really mad at him and you might punch him, but that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you even get to the punching part. Right. You're just mad. (laughs) And uh, I think... It's become a common saying uh that I don't think that you can bring that up in a criminal case and actually make it evidence. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like... Okay, however, (laughs) he did kill her, and it was relevant. (laughs) (laughs) He had told a friend that he had waited in the parking lot of Dolly's apartment, and that he had a gun, and he told me he was planning to shoot her. And, and, wait a minute, right, well, no, he had had said something. Oh, okay. But it wasn't, I mean, they didn't put it together. Anyway, and then he says... That he had uh, told his friend that he had planned the perfect murder. Huh. And then down here, to commit the perfect crime. So if somebody said that to you, would that be a red flag? Yeah. I planned the perfect murder. Yeah, that. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I was waiting in the parking lot of her apartment building. With a gun. Red, red flag. No, no, just that part alone. Red flag. Yeah. With a gun. Okay, calling the police. <laughs> right. I planned the perfect murder. Ooh, righty, you're a killer. Yes. Bye. Bye. Well, and that's the sad thing, is because Dolly contacted the police so many times. She contacted the campus police. She mm-hmm. contacted the mm. regular police. And they just, she didn't necessarily... Um, file charges because i think part of it she was afraid of him mm-hmm. um and then she's she didn't want to probably hurt him either there was a point where she um i guess reported him to the board of the dental school mm-hmm. and he was really mad about that mm-hmm. um but they uh i don't want to say they blew it off but he was not found guilty of anything right and so anyway hmm. it was a very good book it's good um i haven't finished it and even though i found out what's going to happen i'm still going to go back and read those last few pages i only touched a little bit on mine definitely read yeah hours because i didn't really even get into all the voodoo stuff right just man that, that was a crazy was story voodoo. about that <laughs> So now we also know that the Southeast is crazy, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Not just the Northwest. <laughs> or Texas. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I kept, I don't know, I kept thinking about some of the Arctica songs while you were telling me about your... Oh, yeah? Like when you kept saying Reverend. Reverend. The Reverend. I wanted to be like, testify. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I wanted to say. And then, what was the other thing? Oh, and then, and then her name was Mary Lou. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a Sonarctica song, an old one. Hmm. And, and then, and then there was something about a gun in there. So I was like thinking about the song, the yep. gun, the gun. Mm-hmm. Go and go and listen to these songs. Just, <laughs> just find them and just listen to them. And this, after you listen to this podcast, and okay, so you, I, I hate to say it, but you mumbled a little bit. Tell me the, um, the singer or the artist. Sonata Arctica. Sonata. Sonata. Sonata Arctica. Okay. Yeah. 
just want to make sure we can find these songs and it's by the right author of the one you want us to listen to. <laughs> X marks the spot. That's the one where he says, testify. Yeah. Well, those were interesting, interesting stories. Harper Lee, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, Harper Lee. All right. Well, I guess that this has been Do We Like Murder? Bye. We'll see y'all later. Hasta la vista. <laughs>